What has to happen for a person to start out with every advantage? Good looks, honor, a calling from God, a great family, a successful career, and then die a self-pitying suicide. Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805. We're going to learn the sad answer to that question as we look at the life of Saul, the first king of Israel. But we're not going to dwell on the negative, but we're going to look at what we can do, no matter where we start out in life, to live a life that's pleasing to God and to end well. I recently saw this quote on the Facebook page of a friend of mine who is a senior in high school, and it said, I will pass my finals. I will pass my classes, I will not be defeated, I will finish strong. And I thought, you know, that sounds like something we really all want to do. We want to do well in the daily as well as the big challenges of life. And to help us be successful in that, we're going to study today the life of Saul. Saul is a useful lesson for us because he had everything that's often seen as important for success. He was very good looking, he was well built, it said that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. He had a very powerful job, he was king, he had a great family, he had three sons, two daughters, he had everything going for him. But again, he died a miserable, self-pitying suicide. And we're going to talk about how he got there and what we can do to avoid his mistakes. Remember that the Bible, that everything in the Bible that it talks about, it isn't always a good example. Sometimes we can learn a lot from some of the really bad examples in the Bible. And sadly, Saul is one of those examples. Before we get into the specifics of his life, I do want to take just a few minutes to do a review of where we are in our reading through the Bible. This is so important because I don't want to ever pull characters or lessons out of context. The context is so important. That's why we're reading the entire Bible. That's my goal overall. I want you to get a real picture of how all of these things fit together. You must read everything you read in the Bible in context. You want to read the whole verse, you want to look at the whole chapter, you want to look at the whole book, and again, all of the Bible. While you're reading it, remember that all of the Bible is part of one great story. It's all one book, and it's the story of God redeeming humanity from their rebellion, where humanity lost paradise because of their sin. God promised a Savior, and He is working with humanity now to restore that relationship of one day when he will come again and he will again walk with his people. But a lot's happened and a lot will happen before that takes place. And so let's just look briefly at where we've been in our Bible study. We looked at Genesis and Job. We started out with Genesis. And in Genesis, we saw the start of humanity, who was created in a perfect setting to walk with God. But sin destroyed their relationship and their world. A Savior was promised, and all of the rest of the Bible works out the preparation for the coming of the Savior and the promise of His coming again. We looked at the book of Job right after the start of Genesis, because Job answers some of the really big questions of life, and it shows how God is at work among all His 
people. And by the way, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast on Job, I'd really encourage you to do it. I think you'll find it very helpful. Then after that, we went back to Genesis. We looked at the flood, and then we looked how after it, one line from Noah's family, the Semites, are the ones that God then focuses on to bring about the Jewish people. He calls Abraham and then his son Isaac and Jacob. This is what forms the family of Israel. They move to Egypt because of famine, where they're there for 400 years, where a family becomes a nation. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are books about their deliverance and then their failure and their wandering, but how God was faithful. He gave them his laws, his ways to worship, and he kept them safe. In Joshua, they finally get to go into the promised land. They conquer it and they divide it. Now then comes Judges, where everyone does what's right in their own eyes, and it wasn't very pretty. There was a lot of sin and bondage and repression, and just really terrible things happened because the people would not obey God and worship only Him. When they followed idols, when they followed the ways of living that their Canaanite neighbors did, judgment came on them. But we also have great heroes in this book, like Gideon and Deborah and Samson. And then at the end of this time period, we have Ruth, which is a very positive story. And then we get to the life of Samuel. Samuel was actually considered the last judge of Israel before the kingship starts, which is what we're going to talk about today with Saul. Samuel was born in answer to prayer. His mother Hannah had not been able to have children, and she prays. God gives her Samuel, and she then returns him to God, where he serves at the temple until he's an adult, and then he becomes a leader in Israel. He really served God, though, from a very early age, was very obedient obedient to him. He led the people after the ark was stolen, after the high priest at that time Eli died, and after the tabernacle at Shiloh was destroyed. He kept the nation intact. He was a very powerful leader in many ways. He judged Israel. He went on a circuit, answering questions, judging people, teaching people. He started what is was known as the school of the prophets. However, things did not really go well for Samuel near the end of his life. Because it tells us in First Samuel, Samuel 8, 1 through 5, it says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, let's take a little pause here. The people asking for a king was not bad in and of itself. God has instituted human government, and he planned that earthly leaders, though, should reflect his leadership as God. Now, he promised also, too, that Israel would one day have a king. And this early passage in Genesis has, is seen as a prophecy of that. This goes back to when Jacob was blessing, or and, and it wasn't really blessing like we think of blessing. He was really making 
making the prophecies about what his sons, what their individual tribes would be like. And here's what he said. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This is seen as the promise that Judah would be the ruling tribe and that Jesus, would, Jesus the Savior, would come from it. And biblical scholars take this as an example of showing how God did intend for them to eventually have a king. But their reason was wrong. They wanted a king to lead their armies like other nations. And perhaps their timing was God had determined that David was going to be the king that would be an early sort of a living prophecy of what Jesus would finally come to be like. But David wasn't around early on, and so we don't exactly know how the timing fit in, but to simply want a king to lead their nation, uh, to lead their armies, because all the other nations had that, that was not something that God had in mind. And so when they asked for a king, Samuel, of course, felt like they were rejecting him, but God said, no, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. Now, let's look at a lesson that we can learn so far from this. And that is, like that old saying says, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. That was really the situation for Israel at this time, because sometimes God answers prayers that really shouldn't be answered. They really shouldn't have asked for a king at this time and in this way. They got years of fighting, civil war, many, many problems happened after this. And the Bible warns us uh, in Psalm 106.15, this is talking about the children of Israel when they were in the desert and they were complaining, complaining, they wanted this, they wanted that. And it says that God gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. And what this verse, what many Bible commentators say, is this verse shows us how when we decide what we want and we just demand it of God and we're not willing to listen to him, we're not willing to say, Lord, answer this prayer if it's your will. Lord, your will be done, if it's your will, this or that. But instead, if we say, God, this is what I want, and this is what I want you to do, and and I demand this, sometimes God will answer that, but it might not be for our best. And so I really caution you, always pray that God's will will be done when you pray. And here's here's what I, I recommend, and this is something that I'm personally really learning, and I think I'm, I'm actually um, in the process of learning how to do this more and more. And that is, um, let me. is, I'm going to go through kind of a little bit of a process, and, and so bear with me, but I think you'll find it really useful. First of all, I encourage you to develop what I would really call a conversational time of prayer with God. And what can really help on that is journaling, writing down your prayer requests. And I'll do this, and then I'll say, Lord, but would your will be done in it? Lord, this is what seems to me might be a good thing. This is what I would like to have happen. But Lord, I trust you and I know you will do what's best for me. You know what you want to do for your plan in my life. And so I I tried to to give it to God and to leave it open for how he can work. Now, a lot of times that might mean waiting. That might be a, 
it might also be a change in circumstances and maybe a change in your desires. And what I found when I pray this, and I really pray it openly and honestly, and, and perhaps I'm talking to the Lord in prayer and journaling over a period of times, a lot of times either my desires change or what I've also seen happen is when I leave it open for God to do what he might do, it's sometimes really exciting what he will do. God sees a big picture of our life. He also sees the real desires of our heart. And many times, if we trust Him, He will bring about something that we we hadn't even thought of. And it makes so much more sense to really trust Him and let Him work. Uh, This one quote by a gentleman named Bob Goff says, It's easy to trust God when He does what we want. But it's the other times that we often really grow. And that's so true. Well, Saul becomes king. Back to the story of him. Now, not much happens until a city called Jabesh. They get their enemies come to them and they say, you know, we're going to pound on your city and we're going to gouge out the eye of every uh, male in your city. And, you know, they're obviously some pretty nasty people. So they cry out to their fellow Israelites for help. Saul answers, he raises an army, and he rescues him. The kingship is confirmed, and Samuel retires from leadership. And in doing that, he has this final speech that he gives to the people, and he says, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me... Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. So this right here is just a really great example of someone leaving the scene of active leadership. But he says, I'm still going to pray for you and I will still be there to teach you. Now Saul goes on, he gets a group of men to follow him, God calls a group to do that. He starts a series of many wars with Philistines. The army, it says, was assembled at Gilgal, and Samuel had told them, I am going to come in seven days and do a sacrifice for you before they go into battle, and this was apparently a really big deal, something that that he was going to do. Now Saul, though, gets impatient, and Samuel said he would come within seven days. On the seventh day, Samuel's not there. Saul says, okay, enough of that. I'm going to offer the sacrifice. He offers the sacrifice, and wouldn't you know it, just as he's finishing up, Samuel shows up. Saul, though, does not repent. He has all kinds of excuses. He says, I felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. I just had to do it. You know, they were, they were really upset. They were going to scatter. I was afraid of my enemies. And Samuel just stops him and says, you've done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now what was it that he did that was so wrong? Well, he was told to wait by God's prophet. God's prophets at that time were actually the voice of God to the people. And he was told very specifically, this is what you're supposed to do. So in disobeying Samuel, he was disobeying God. 
And he did that, secondly, because he gave in to the fears of the people, his army, and his enemies. He was afraid of all of them, and he acted in response to them and not in response to what he was told to do. He also acted as a priest in offering a sacrifice, and that was absolutely forbidden. And he did not repent of his actions. He just had nothing but excuses. Now we're going to come, in looking at that, to a to an extremely important series of applications from this first thing that he did. Application number one. This is so important. This is this is one of the most important things I can encourage you to do. And the younger you are, the sooner you start doing this, the better your life will be. And that is always play to an audience of one. And that one, of course, is God. He is the one we want to please. He is the one that we are to fear. If we're going to fear anyone, he is the one we want to make happy and proud of us. Saul didn't. The audience that he was playing to were his people, his enemies, anybody really but God. He had very clear guidance. Do this, don't do that. Now, instead of obeying, he again, he caved in. And I think, in contrast, a really good example of this is in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We won't get to them for uh, quite a while in our Bible study, but most people have heard about them because they were the Israelites that were commanded to bow down to this image of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow down to my image, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. They did not bow down. They're hauled towards Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, don't you know that I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace and you're going to die? And they say to him, O king, we are not going to bow down. Our God is able to save us. But then they add what I think is one of the most incredible sayings, one of the most incredible statements of trust when they say, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. They were playing to an audience of one. Now get it settled in your life. Where is your ultimate loyalty? It should be in God. He is the one you want to please and never, ever waver from it. If you just go, and and really this makes life so much easier, if you just make certain decisions and you stick with them, then you don't have to decide each time, do you do this, do you do that? If you really have clear guidance from God, you know what he wants you to do. For Let me share a little example uh, with you. Um, in my, my regular, um, in one of my jobs, I work a couple of jobs to support my ministry habits, but in one of them, I have a ministry, a church communications ministry, and I had for actually um, over 20 years, I wrote for a certain publication that, um, uh, you know, and, I, I, and I, they didn't pay me, I just wrote for free, and I did this because I felt it was a real ministry to church communicators. Well, the publication was sold, and then it was sold again it was sold again and I lasted through a number of editors and then this one particular company bought it and they they changed things a lot but they finally they got to a place where first of all they were going to start paying their writers which I thought oh that's really nice that's great you know after 20 years finally I'll get paid for this work because it was a lot of work but um they said, in return for that, though, we are going to demand all rights to you what you write. And I kind of, 
I, I didn't really, I, I don't want to name the company because I don't like to um, uh, cast um, bad feelings on any other member of the body of Christ, but I had been very concerned about just the ethics of a number of things that this company had done and I wasn't really feeling all that great about writing for them and when they said this I just said no I, I can't do that now I I thought um well, you know, I'm I'm reaching, you know, tens of thousands of people every month, and my ministry's kind of struggling. And if I if I don't write for them, it's going to cut off this huge audience, and nobody's going to come to my website, and yeah, all just all this kind of stuff. But I just felt like the Lord really wanted me just to quit working for Him, and that I couldn't take their money, and I I couldn't do what they wanted me to do and so I did propose a compromise I said well how about if you don't pay me um, that will be fine but I cannot sign over all rights to my material because I had seen them do some very bad things with other people's material and uh, I thought well maybe that's a good compromise and they said no we either you know either you let us pay you but we get all your stuff and I just said no I, I can't do it I'm, I'm sorry I quit that was really, really hard for me to do. But you know what happened? So interesting. My website, instead of going down, it's, I don't know where all the traffic's coming from, but it's really increased. And, you know, that's not, you know, probably a huge thing for many people, but it was a big spiritual battle for me. And it just once again affirmed what looked to me like ministry suicide, like a really stupid thing, that was what it looked like on the one hand, but on the other hand, I just knew the Lord did not want me to write for them anymore, that my trust in growing my audience and my ministry is not dependent on them, it's dependent on the Lord. And it, with the Lord's help, I actually had the courage to say, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. And the Lord allowed me to see a real blessing come from it. Now, he doesn't always do that. He doesn't always, when we do the right thing, we don't always feel great about doing the right thing. But it's still really important for us to do that. In that ministry, and for this ministry, for Bible 805, um, I just probably should tell you something else that I do, and that is I have determined, because I, I totally believe this is what the Lord wants me to do, to not do any advertising. I just feel like that can be so distracting. I don't do any affiliate marketing. I, marketing, I don't do any advertising outside of on the other ministry. Perhaps there sometimes there are some books that I've, I've created or e-books or things like that that I'll sell but no outside stuff, no flashing ads, no any of that. I just feel that that's so distractive and destructive to sites that are really just supposed to be a ministry. Now that's hard. That's really hard sticking to that. Does this ministry make any money? No, zero, zip, none, nada. Um, you know, I I have to pay to do it. Um, I have to pay for the hosting. I have to pay for, for just a number of things. But that's okay. Um, you know, I, I do accept donations. And if the Lord wants it to grow and, and wants me to do more on it, he'll provide that. And that, that, again, it was a tough decision. The site that actually hosts what I do every week. Week, these little things come up. Would you like a sponsor? Would you like some advertising? Would you like this? Would you like to monetize? And it's like, nope, nope, nope. 
No. Um, when people come to the site, I want you just to hear the teaching and just to kind of relax and you know maybe read some of the articles or just listen to the podcast, whatever it is, and that's that's all that's going to be on there. And then the Lord will provide somehow in His way, and I, I really trust Him to do that. So I guess I just wanted you to know that. I, I don't talk about those things a whole lot to let you know that the things that I share with you... I, I do truly try to apply them in my life, or I wouldn't be telling you that you ought to do it. The second um, application here is don't try to manipulate God through religious actions. Saul was using the sacrifice in sort of a magical way to keep the army from leaving. It was similar to when the Israelites brought the ark into the battle previously, and that did not go well at all. And that is not what God intended the sacrifices or the ark to be for. It was a very clear violation of every holy thing and of every purpose that God set up. And the point on this is we cannot use religion for our own purposes. Show we religion? religious actions without a proper heart response are not pleasing to God. People can say, oh, I believe this, or they might show up to church, or they might um, maybe even give a whole lot or do something like that, but God is not impressed if you are doing it just to use him to make you more powerful or politically acceptable or, or whatever it is. Application number three, know your calling and focus on it. Saul was a soldier and he was a king. Samuel was the prophet and the priest. The duties of the priest and prophet are very carefully spelled out and no one else was supposed to do them. No one else was supposed to offer sacrifices or do anything that had to do with the worship of God. These were all done by the priesthood at that time and God's punishments were very severe if they were disobeyed. Many times in the Old Testament, well not many times, but some of the examples that we have, if someone did not or did something that they were not authorized to do, God just struck them dead, right then and there, boom, dead. And so in many ways, God was being very merciful to Saul, but it was still wrong for him to do that. Now, an application for us today, there are other times in the church we just think, well, I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know why the pastor does that. Well, I could do a better job on that. No, 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 no. You do your job in the church, and if you don't like how someone else is doing it, if God leads you, you can maybe have a conversation with them, but primarily you pray. You don't try to take over somebody else's work. You are satisfied and thankful that the Lord's given you the job he's given you to do. If you don't know what that job is, or you would like a little bit more teaching on that, please go to the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians 12, that talks about spiritual gifts and where every person has a job to do from in the body of Christ. Now, sadly, Saul did not learn from this lesson. He goes on to fight some more battles, and then God commands him to totally destroy the Amalekites. And God is very specific. He says, destroy everything, all the people, all the livestock, everything. Yes, that was a a very severe judgment, but God is God, and his commands are to be obeyed. This is very similar to the command to destroy Jericho. Everything in it, all the spoils, all the cattle, nothing was to be left alive. And God, this is what God commanded. Well, Saul wins the victory, but 
he did not obey God. He kept all the cattle and the sheep and he kept just all this stuff. Well, he's got all this at his camp. Then Samuel, uh, it says the word of the Lord came to Samuel after the battle. And he says, the Lord says to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel gets really angry, he's really upset, and he it says he cried out to the Lord all night. Then he gets up, and once again, he goes to confront Saul. Saul comes out, he sees Samuel coming, he comes out to meet him, he said, I carried out the Lord's instructions. I did all this, I fought the battle, I did what the Lord wanted me to. And then next comes one of what I consider one of the great um, all-time lines in the Bible, where Samuel says, What then is the sound of bleeding sheep in my ears? You know, you were supposed to destroy them all. Why do I hear all these animals? Then Saul excuses. He blames the army. He says, oh, well, we're going to sacrifice them to God. And the people did this and they did this. So it would be for God. And this is all real. And Samuel just stops him and he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. So Samuel then leaves, and the Lord tells Samuel to anoint David, and he does. But David's life is not easy after that. Bible commentators are not exactly sure, but somewhere between 8 to 15 years, and I think the 15 years is the closest from what I've been able to figure out. It's that long from the time he was anointed until he becomes king. So he has huge challenges for a very long time. Now we're going to be talking specifically about David in our future podcasts. But right now, just really quickly, we're going to zip right over him. What happens next? He kills Goliath. Now, what's interesting in this, just a little note here, because we're talking about Saul. Saul should have been the champion to fight Goliath. He was the biggest and the strongest in the army, and the Philistines sent out Goliath to fight him. But Saul was afraid. He didn't have any spiritual strength left in him. And so this young boy knew that the real battle was where he said, Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. He can't get away with that. And so we all know the story where David goes out and he fights him. It's a great victory. Saul praises him. He gives him his daughter. But as things go on, their relationship goes really badly. And for at least the next 10 years or so, Saul deteriorates in jealousy and rage. He blames his family. He blames his army. He blames David. He wastes so many years just chasing David. David does not retaliate. Again, we'll look at this in more detail later. But David constantly spares Saul's life. He will not speak against him. He will not go after him. He could have so easily, early on, just grabbed the kingship for himself, just killed Saul, been done with it. But he didn't. He waited on God. And this goes on for a very, very long time. But it doesn't go on forever. And finally, a huge battle with the Philistines is brewing. And Samuel has died. 
Saul knows he he has to fight this battle. His champion David is his enemy, he thinks also, and he cannot get guidance from the priest, from anything. He's, he, he just doesn't know what to do, and he's desperate. He's desperate for some sort of sense of what's going to happen. So he goes to see a witch, the witch of Endor, and he says to her, he says, I want you to call up for me the spirit of Samuel. And she says, but don't you know, he goes disguised. She says, Saul has, you know, just kicked out all the wizards and the witches and the mediums from the land, and I'll be killed if I do this. And he says, no, no, you won't be, please do this. So she does whatever she does to call up Samuel, and Samuel actually shows up, shocking them all. And this is what he says to Saul. He says, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Samuel's words came true. Saul and his sons died, and Israel was defeated. Now, just one little important note here that I need to comment on. Saul committed suicide in the battle. But remember, he was told in advance, you and your sons will be with me. Suicide is a very, very sad ending to life, but it is not the unforgivable sin. Once you are a child of God, you are always his child. And we're going to be talking more about David and the Psalms in the coming lessons, but I want to give you a few final challenges and application now. Now remember back to that initial saying that I shared with you when I started. I will pass my finals. I will pass my classes. I will not be defeated. I will finish strong. To pass the tests of life and to finish strong It's really very much like preparing for a test that we had in school. We all know that cramming doesn't work really well. You probably aren't going to do your best on a test that you just try to get all kinds of stuff done just before it. That doesn't work. You prepare ahead. And it's saying it's that it's that's the same way for how we should live our lives. We want to live now how God wants us to. Please do take time if you haven't listened to last week's podcast on how to love Jesus and especially the guidelines from St. Benedict and Jonathan Edwards. They have all these wonderful little sayings that are just really good, I think, to help us live a godly life. And one of them that Jonathan Edwards says, he said he had these resolutions where I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And one of the things he said, to never do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Now, many people prepare financially for disasters. They prepare for uh, retirement, all kinds of things. But we need to prepare for our lives with God, for eternity, for our meeting with Him. That's what we need to be focused on. And so here are some suggestions for what I would call a life study plan. Start wherever you are now and trust God in the situations that you're in now. Now David didn't just go from a young shepherd to fighting Goliath. In between, 
he had to kill a lot he said he killed a lion and a bear now i decided to look those things up and um online and the lion would have weighed about 445 pounds and we all know from just television and different things how big and scary lions can be the bear the type of bear that lived in that area would have been approximately six to seven feet tall and weigh about 550 pounds now goliath was nine feet tall and uh, either the lion or the bear if they really stretched out probably seemed about that tall and probably weighed about as much so in many ways david it's kind of like well been there done that you know i killed these two crazy animals um and they were coming at me with claws and teeth and all this kind of stuff and this guy's just got a sword i mean you know he's nothing and he's standing still so in in many ways david had already conquered these huge giants in life and so this this wasn't a big deal many things in our life are a preparation and we need to tackle every single one of them in a way that honors God and then that will make us stronger for the next one. So a specific action that I encourage you to take now, I talked about this a little bit previously, I would really like you to challenge yourself to pray and journal sort of at the same time. Now dialogue with God about a specific need or a concern, an area that you want to grow in or something that you think you want or just whatever it is, maybe an improvement in a relationship, maybe it's a business thing, maybe whatever it might be, write it down and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is what I would like. And just take some time, pray, look up verses, do some study on it, and just spend some time talking to the Lord about that issue. Remember in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, and this is in the New Living Translation, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, Pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Jesus. And one more encouragement in preparing for this test, our final exam, particularly as we look towards the day that we meet Jesus face to face, don't forget, you've got a great tutor. Remember in Philippians when it says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. The Lord is there with you. He's not trying to trip you up. He's not trying to do things to confuse you or to slow you down in your Christian life, but he wants you to succeed in every test and trial and challenge of life and to end well. Speaking of ending, that's all for now. Please do check out the notes for this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF and written out format at www.bible805.com. And do sign up for the newsletter. I am putting in there more blogs and recommendations and resources and things that I think will be helpful to you. And remember, no advertising at all. And please do tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen and to learn God's Word. We're charging back into going through the Bible, and this isn't uh, such a challenging part as it was when we were studying the laws and things like that. We're doing the history of Israel, and that, that can be a very fun thing to study. You'll also find the reading schedule if you want to read along on Bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. 
May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.